good Monday afternoon. This is technically Mackling and McGarry, but there's no Greg Mackling and there's no Brett McGarry. Greg Mackling is on vacation. Right. Brett McGarry is in recovery from his annual golf tour. <laughs> from his... I don't um, think he would mind me saying that either. Yeah. <laughs> he and his buddies uh, get get together every year, do a tour, and uh, then they need a couple of days to recover. Basically, so. it's welcome to summer staffing here at CGOB. Even uh, a yeah, well, regular producer, Jeff Forche, he's, we have Savannah Pierce behind the board. We traded up to get Savannah Pierce, right. so that's good. <laughs> uh, I am Tristan Field-Jones. I'm filling in for either one of those. And I'm joined by the man who never takes a break. Mr. Kelly Moore. Yes, and uh, I am sitting, and I don't fill in for anybody. I love to sit in for people, but we're going to try to keep the bar as high as Greg and Brett would keep it. So, Considering the circumstances, I think yes, so. Yeah. You, you know, um, uh, Kelly, before we get on to anything else, I think it's worth highlighting that this was a busy weekend. It was. Locally, of course, we have the wrap-up of the Canada Summer Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the segue from week one to week two of Folklorama. We have the uh, Winnipeg Gold Eyes downtown playing baseball. They're doing exceptionally well. Of course, 680 CJOB and Global News. Uh, we're proud to be among the co-sponsors of the Barbecue and Blues right. Festival, which was incredible. I spent most of Saturday there, caught the Blind Boys of Alabama on Saturday night. And Tristan, I'll tell you, I, I know we have some people listening right now who were at that show because it was just chock full of uh, mm-hmm. CJOB fans. And uh, these guys were amazing, absolutely amazing, just in terms of their ability. Uh, one of the things I, I'll, I'll try to paint the picture for you sure. it was the uh, the four co-lead singers, if you will. They were seated in chairs. Uh, they had microphones in hand, and they would eat, you know, get up uh, when it was their turn and that type of thing. Then there was a bass guitarist, a younger guy, I'd say probably in his mid-20s, behind them. Anytime if that chair moved a little bit, if a water bottle got kicked, if uh, like if one of the guys really got into it, and I know one time his heel caught the seat of the chair and lifted it up, this young guy, without missing a beat on his bass guitar, would go and make sure the chair was supposed to be where it was or, you know, adjusted the seat. And then there was another guy playing lead guitar. Uh, he was probably a little bit older, late 30s, early 40s, but doing the same thing. The, the level of respect they yeah. had uh, for these four singers and the way they looked after them was incredibly heartwarming to see. So an amazing show, and then just a few little side benefits to go along with it. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. And uh, Kind again, of counterbalanced what was going on in Charlottesville. Oh, my word, yeah. And we are going to uh, discuss that as well. And and we'll, we'll uh, just on that note, too, we'll chat with Scott Jossen from the Manitoba Hotel Association about uh, some of the impact that the Canada Summer Games have right. had. Yeah. We don't have hard numbers yet, but we're already getting some good feedback when it yeah. comes to that. And if you want to text us at 780 780- <laughs> 6868. If you were at any of those events, and of course, I know Keith McCullough, Austin Siragusa, I I can't remember if Greg Mackley went or not, but I know Keith and Austin for sure Mm -hmm. were at that gold medal female volleyball final where uh, Manitoba played Alberta at the Investors Group Athletic Center. And uh, Tristan, talking to uh, those guys, but also hearing the comments of others. It was just an incredible atmosphere as Team Manitoba went on to win the gold medal, uh, winning in four sets against Alberta. So, so many things on the go. And and I guess the, the, the point that I'd like to make is while I was sitting watching some of the outdoor entertainment during the afternoon at Barbecue Blues and Festival, 
I was also looking at the backdrop. You've got the new buildings. You've got the older buildings in downtown. Right. It was just the optics were so cool, and it made me really feel good about proud about being a Winnipegger. Yeah, and you it know what? Really it was, had that kind of effect on well, me. And with all this, and and on us uh, related to that too, uh, I the number of people I heard who went to the Canada Games Festival who weren't sure, even following yeah. they weren't even following the athletic events. They went for the entertainment. They went for there, and that was oh. huge. It was just uh, all out. I mean, we killed it. There's no doubt about that. We killed it. That was a fantastic way. Winnipeg really showed it how it was done. Oh. And uh, again, an all around great weekend. Text us if you were at any of these events. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Let us know how it went, and we're happy to read those texts and get your feedback throughout the day. Now, speaking of feedback, Tristan, mm-hmm. the question of the day, and we oh, were just boy. discussing this yeah. with Hell. Yeah. The question of the day uh, regards, uh, I, don't, I guess I'm going to use campaign promise, for want of a better term, for Steve Ashton. Oh, it is technically a campaign, yeah. yeah. Wh- who's one of the aspiring leaders, who, basically between he and Wab Canoe, as to who mm-hmm. is going to be the next leader of the NDP party provincially. And basically, the promise is that your first year of tuition for post-secondary education will be free. And <laughs> uh, yeah, we Tristan's nodding. We have time yeah. to read through a few of these texts that Hal Anderson, unfortunately, did not get to. Dean writes, absolutely not. I think I've, I've emulated Dean's thought there. Oh, boy. Exactly. Just how out of touch are the NDP and Ashton? We have hundreds of millions of dollars in deficit, roads falling apart, and people starving, yet the NDP plans to give more free rides. Manitobans pay some of the highest taxes in Canada already. I don't want to pay for someone else's education. I have my own kids to pay for. We must cut, not spend more. It's infuriating that so many in Manitoba do not grasp that things are not free. It's funny that this this comes out now, Kelly, because when I went to the University of Winnipeg uh, and Red River College, this was a bigger issue at the universities, I think. Um, The idea of, at the very least, reducing tuition was super prevalent. And I mean, the student union was out there almost every single day uh, with facts and figures regarding how expensive it is. And I will say this... um, I'm kind of lukewarm on the idea because I do believe that for university, you should pay for it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't believe in free university at all because that means you, you might have people in there who have zero interest in it. Uh, I, I think there should be a fine balance between having to fund your own mm-hmm. education but not being saddled with a lifetime of debt either. And that's a big problem. I'll yeah. tell you this, just as a small figure, my first year textbooks was $750. That was my first year textbooks. Alone, let alone the courses, let alone any supplemental material, just that on its own. And this was almost a decade ago. Uh, well, I'm going to sound a little bit like an old guy. Back in the mid-70s, when I started my radio career, I was really fortunate. Mm-hmm. I had my tuition paid for, but I had to work for it by doing the 6 to midnight shift down in Abbotsford, B.C. for free. So it, that was the trade-off back then. And uh, and so, you know, I, I again, I don't think any, there should be any free rides. Uh, that's just my yeah. own opinion. But I also don't believe that we should be saddling young people with debts that they may never recover from, especially 
when there is no guarantee that when they come out of university that they'll be that sixty to seventy thousand yep. dollar a year job waiting exactly. for them, like there was for Tristan Field Jones. Well, okay, that's not okay. true. John asks, is he for real? <laughs> How about everyone work for the NDP? We all work and give all our money to them. There is never enough. How about if you want more school after high school, get off your <clears throat> and work to pay for it. Seems to have worked for years. It still can. <laughs> Uh, relating to the question of the day, I think possibly tuition would be a good incentive to get people to continue their education. However, if they do not complete, then they should have to pay the money back. That's a reasonable response. That's not bad. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and and part of it as well, especially nowadays, is uh, in, an increasing number of jobs. In fact, the majority of jobs require some sort of post-secondary education yeah. nowadays. The days of going right out of high school and being lucky and landing a job, I'm sure it still happens. Yeah, not very often. No, though. not no, at it all. It has to be exceptional circumstances. Uh, Micah writes, I think it's a great idea to pay for the first year. If that means more, young people will get a better education. They get better paying jobs, so they pay more taxes, have less people living in poverty, and less financial support is needed for the next generation. I want to hear so, more of your sample. feedback. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, we'll have a few minutes here if you want to give us a shout. 204-780-6868. That's 204-780-6868. Feel free to text us. But we also like hearing your voice. We like having a conversation. So feel free to do so. And uh, what do you think? Should the first year of tuition be free? That's what NDP leadership candidate Steve Ashton is suggesting. So this, and for those of you who are worried, this isn't happening. The government is not no. pledging that. Sometimes it, we need to make that clear. Yes, this is this. He is strictly uh, looking to see if this will be the magic ticket to winning the leadership, which I think it's next month, September 16th or something like that. I think so. Yeah. It's, yeah I'll have to look up the date for sure uh, for the NDP leadership convention. I know it's coming up very quickly mm-hmm. and I know it's a two person race between Steve Ashton and Wab Kadu. So uh, whether this is enough to tilt the scales in his favor uh, books this year, by the way, Tristan, a decade later, $1,600. <sighs> That's really expensive. I mean, it's. I, I understand people saying you have to pay for it and you have to work for it. Absolutely, I understand that, and I don't believe, as I mentioned, I don't believe in free university. But having said that, though, there's it's not it's it's commonplace for your university uh, education to cost twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars, and yeah. and to me, I just think. That's a lot of debt to have to pay off when you also will have a car payment, when you will also have some kind of payment to live, whether it's rent Mm -hmm. or whether it's a mortgage. And good Lord knows you won't have the down payment coming out of university for a mortgage. No. At all. And and, and so, you know, yeah, it's it's, – can sometimes see where people in my demographic will take the hardline approach because we had to, you know, do what we needed to do to get where we are. But – I, I don't look at the way. I'd rather take a pragmatic approach and uh, free tuition, huh? Writes uh, another listener. Yet another example of politicians yeah. who do not live in the real world. Well, there are six countries around the world that offer free tuition to public universities. And it seems to be working okay for them. We've reached out to a few of them. We want to see if uh, we can get them on the air over the course of this week. Just is this a good idea? Is it workable? Yeah. Let's you know? take a uh, let's take a quick break here. I see Jeff yeah. is on the line. We'll we'll chat with you right after this. Yeah. And also, we're going to go rogue here on the Unmackling and McGarry edition. Normally, they give away free stuff near the end of the show. Tristan and I are going to do it different. 
So don't go away. <laughs> Mackling and McGarry, stay tuned. It is Mackling and McGarry, minus Greg Mackling, minus Brett McGarry. You have Tristan Field-Jones and Kelly Moore instead, also known as summer staffing here at CJOB. But you know what? We're going to keep the conversation going here, Kelly. Right. We've got a, people on the, a, a few people on the line here who want to discuss tuition. So, Jeff, you were on the air with oh, Tristan Field-Jones and Kelly Moore. Jeff, what do you think? Free tuition for the first year, yes or no? Uh, no, but I, I want to throw something in here. As a vocational instructor, mm-hmm. the, the thing that most people are forgetting is that one out of every 30 students in a classroom is going to successfully complete university. Everybody else, the government does already pay for education. It's called the apprenticeship program. And we are in desperate need of tradespeople. So if you're out of high school, you're looking for work, get hired on with a company. They'll sign you up on the apprenticeship program. You get paid while you work and you don't have to pay to go to school. Yeah, it's very similar, Jeff, to the story I was telling how I launched my radio career. You know, was you, you work the 6 to midnight shift, you cut your chops, and then you uh, wound up positioning yourself for a full-time job. I, I turned wrenches for 30 years, and my body couldn't handle it, so I went and tr- uh, got another vocation as, a, as an automotive instructor, and, yeah, everything was paid for. All right. Jeff? Good on you, Jeff. Yeah, thanks very much for the call, sir. Thank you. We have Rick on the line here. Rick, what do you think? Free tuition first year, yes or no? You know what? I don't think it should be the first year of your first of your degree. Uh, and I'll tell you why. There are tons of bursaries out there. There are tons of scholarships out there. Get off your stuff and look for them. My son has done eight years of university already. He's got his degree. He's got his master's. And now he has universities from across Canada coming after him, offering to pay tuition and everything because of his marks, because how hard he worked on it. He's got four more years to do his, his PhD. And you know what? His PhD isn't costing me or him a cent because of what is out there. It's the bursaries, the tuition, the, um, the scholarships. If you look for it, you'll find it. And if you're serious about the education, you'll get the marks. And you get the marks, and more and more is going to come forth to you. And I've, and I've seen it firsthand with my son. He's got eight years. Out of the eight years, he paid two years of, of, uh, of the school. The rest of it's been either bursaries and or, to, or uh, uh, scholarships. And he's got four more years that are being paid by not only the university, but from another province. And they pulled him out there, and they're paying his way. And hopefully he comes yeah. back to Winnipeg and puts that education uh, to good well, use there, here. There are some prominent people in this city that know who he is. Uh-huh. Uh, and if you take a look at the Jets, they know who he is. And uh-huh. the offers are there. All right. Okay, Get thank- out there and do it. Rick, thank you very much. You bet. Hey, guys, I took student loans out in the early 90s for my education. I paid it all back and go to work every day for the last 25 years because of it. I worked for it, appreciate my job and effort I put in. If you want it bad enough, you will. So they are in debt for their education. Suck it up. Go for work. That is from Len. Here's a good one, Tristan, that mm-hmm. we hadn't uh, taken a look at. That. What about the guy or girl who finishes his degree or her degree this year and owes 45 k they get screwed again. So do you grandfather this in? Do yep. you credit you know, further along uh, the uh, university career if you're going to implement this plan? Yeah, how far back do you go? Exactly, how far back do you grandfather this? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have, uh, and you know, Rick, bring, Chris, before he gets you, Rick brings up a great point. There are a lot of bursaries, there are a lot of scholarships out there. I know I took advantage of a few of them. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there is relief out there. 
But for a lot of people, even with that relief, it can still get to be very expensive. Yeah. Uh, but it, Rick brings up a great point. There yeah. are, there's there's plenty of resources out there. Chris is on the line. Chris, you're with Tristan Field, Jones, and Kelly Moore. What do you think about this idea of free tuition for the first year of university? I think it's stupid. Okay. I it. Tell us how you really feel, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a young person right now. I, took, I did my first year at University of Manitoba, and I didn't like it. And I shouldn't, no one should have to pay for something I didn't like. Like right now, I'm an apprentice lineman, and I'm flying all over Canada building power. And I, I get paid really good money. And I think that's the way it should go. Is if we're going to pay for tuitions, it should be things that we need, like apprentices, apprenticeships, and nurses and doctors. Especially in rural Manitoba, we need more nurses and doctors. I wouldn't be okay if we paid a good portion to get people into rural Manitoba, like nurses and doctors. But I know I disagree with paying the first year tuition. Chris, what uh, what are you apprenticing for? Uh, I'm a power line technician, good so a hydro worker. Good for you. Do you see that as a, a a lengthy career or something you just want to do while you're young? Uh, as long as my body can hold it out, but I'll probably do it until I'm 50. You know, I work with a lot of guys in their 80s, and I'll probably end up doing the same thing. You know, Probably in the next 10, 15 years, I'll take a consultant job or I'll probably be running crews. So... Yep. Good. Thanks a bunch for calling yeah. in. That's yeah, yep. that, good stuff for him. You know, just and and I know when my youngest daughter went to school, there were a couple of her friends that took the proverbial first year university course, right? And it wasn't for them. Yeah. You know, and uh, I know the deal we cut with our daughters when they were getting ready to go to university is if you have a clear plan, then that's fine. Uh, but if you're going to university to continue to find yourself. Well, then work for a year and find yourself that way. Your education fund will remain exactly where it is for when you're ready to use it, but uh, not for just experimentary purposes. Yeah, and I know a lot of people nowadays kind of along those lines, too, where a lot of parents will say, uh, you know, if you're going to university, you don't need to pay rent. You don't need to worry about a lot of things like that. Like, they'll help along, and especially nowadays when everything is going up, let alone tuition, everything out there is going up. You really need that support. And like one of our texters mentioned, let's say you leave university with $45,000 in debt. Are you going to apply to buy a house? No, you're not. And and so there needs to be some sort of uh, middle ground there. Kelly, I think we're running out of time, but we want, you wanted to do something here, didn't you? Yes, we do. Oh, I know who these, even I know who these guys are. Uh, Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses. We have a little giveaway here, don't we? Yeah, they're coming to Winnipeg the 24th. Uh, 24th of August at Investors Group Field, including Lady Peace will be there too. And uh, I'm just going to busy the lines here. So, okay. uh, And if you continue to have feedback, by the way, 204-780-6868. Yeah, we'll filter it throughout the... Uh, Absolutely. And I don't mean censoring, but we'll filter it in our sure, comments certainly. throughout the afternoon. Yeah. Uh, so here's what we want from you. Uh, Kelly had a great idea. Let's do... Today we're going to do tough trivia about guns. Okay. Tomorrow we're going to do tough trivia about roses. Might have to phone our buddies at Ron Paul where they've got it all for a good tough trivia question on roses. But. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Yeah. So here's the tough trivia question for today. Well, somewhat tough anyway. You could call us at 780-6868, but you need to tell us which rifle is the most widely used around the world. Wow. That's, that's the answer. Which one is the most... We're not giving these away for free, Kelly. You know, we're not suggesting... Guns and Roses tickets for free here. I'm I like thought maybe is what is it that you cock back before you pull the you know what? But no, 
No. What is so anyway? Call oh, us two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight, and you need to get the correct answer. Call talk to Savannah, uh, and um, but you will luck. win tickets to you see Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses, August twenty fourth, Investors Group Field. So good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, we have a quick break here. Global news at one thirty coming up, and then after that, Kelly, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Yeah, we're going to be talking about concussions, and we're also going to be talking about a fun event or events. Uh, coming to Winnipeg next week, and the man who's behind the organization of that. I am neither Greg Mackling nor Brett McGarry. I'm Kelly Moore. Tristan Field-Jones in as the boys are away today and tomorrow. Greg, actually, for the next couple of weeks. Uh, Brett will be here on Wednesday. Right now, about 26 minutes in front of 2 o'clock, and just before we talk concussions with our next guest, Bob Martin was the lucky winner in Tough Trivia. For the guns, part of Guns N' Roses, Tristan, on August 24th at IGF. And the answer, the most widely produced rifle in the world is? The AK-47. And we had all kinds of answers via text as well because the phone lines were so busy. But congratulations, Bob Martin. You are going to be going to the show. Um, Kelly, you've arranged for this next segment, and I'm quite interested to hear about this. I'll let you take the reins for sure, this. Yeah. But it is about, uh, I mean, the, the big issue here is regarding concussions in sport, and I know that that has been, you don't have to be a sports fan or even slightly knowledgeable about anything to know this is a big frickin' deal, and we look at what's going on in the NFL with the lawsuits sure. and the health issues. But anyway, I will let you take this away and jump in from time to time, because this sounds like it's, it's, it's a good thing to discuss here. Well, there is going to be a fun aspect of this. Yes, which we'll talk about in a moment, but I want to say hello to a, a good friend and colleague, Kerry Goulet, a former St. Boniface Saint, who uh, is uh, now, uh, well, he's played overseas in Germany for a number of years, but has really dedicated himself the last few years. I first met Kerry, I think it was, what, 2011 or 2012, uh, when you came through Winnipeg and you had uh, Keith Primo with you, and uh, that that was kind of when the, you really got the ball rolling uh, for the concussion uh, safety group? Yeah, well, thank you, Kelly. Thank you guys for having us on. Uh, yeah, uh, Keith Primo and I started an organization called Stop Concussions. Uh, obviously, uh, we know it's very documented about his uh, career-ending injury. And while I was over in Germany, playing I suffered three and and one of them was uh, very devastating and took me down a dark path and I, I'm very fortunate I got through it so Keith and I formed this organization to help people understand the cause effect and consequences of the injury and it was 2011 when we met Kelly right now this started off very modestly but it grew and grew Kerry to the point now where uh and I think it, this is so positive. It's frightening in one point that so many athletes and people have had uh, concussions to deal with. But on another note, it is so encouraging to hearing them stepping forward and sharing their experiences so that we can provide better education for this. Well, there's no question. And I think what's what's important is we didn't understand it, uh, you know, 10 years ago. We knew that, you know, you got your bell rung, you saw stars. Uh, we just never uh, took the time to realize that, uh, you know, you hurt a knee, you keep on banging that knee, eventually your knee goes, you need to get a new one. It's very similar to the brain. If you keep damaging it, eventually it'll break down. And so that, you know, those are in layman's terms. Uh, there's a lot of controversy about, you know, what a concussion is or how do you treat a concussion. But the most important thing is to understand it's common sense. 
if you keep on damaging something, it eventually is going to break down. And so the positive part about it is that sport is fantastic. I was very fortunate to get over to make it the National Hockey League, came through the Winnipeg Jets organization, got to meet John Ferguson Sr. back in the day. And, you know, I wasn't very tough, so I, I was uh, not able to play at that level, got sent over and was able to play in Europe for 16 years and got to see the Berlin Wall fall. So it allowed hockey giving me absolutely everything. And so I wanted to give back. And when Keith and I realized that we weren't doing enough about educating the athlete, we then stated that that's what we were going to do. So I've dedicated my life to help people not only on concussions, but also what's called neurotrauma, anything that deals with the spine, obviously spinal injuries or the brain. Carrie, you mentioned that having those concussions uh, took you down a dark road. Paint a picture for us. What was that like? Well, you know, I was I was 30 years old. Uh, well, to, I, it's a long story. So I'm going to make it very quick for you to understand. I went over to uh, Germany at 27, uh, playing in a little town, through, you know, uh, in third division. Uh, suffered a very serious concussion, and that was back in 1988. None of us even knew what it was about. The German doctors, I, I remember waking up. Uh, I was supposedly knocked out and transferred to the hospital. Um, you know, that obviously took 40 minutes. I, 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 I must have woken up a few times, but I remember my eyes opening and seeing five German doctors uh, standing over top of me. It was my second week there, so I, I couldn't speak German. I only know knew Hogan's Heroes German, and so <laughs> I, I was scared. Um, and I, I stayed in the hospital for a couple of days, and they let me go. They were more concerned about my shoulder. We never even talked about the brain. But for a couple of months, I felt fatigue and, and dizziness and, and not myself. And I just took it that maybe, you know, the jet lag and the hit injury and I battled through it. But 18 months later, I was driving on the Autobahn. Uh, I was going to visit Mark McKay, who's also a very uh, predominant player over there at that time and a good friend of mine. And uh, I was, it felt like I was having a heart attack. Um, my left arm went numb, my chest went tight, my eyes rolled back in my head. I pulled over off the Autobahn. We are going like 200 kilometers an hour. My fiancé at the time dragged me out. I, I buckled. They raced me to the hospital. They did every test known to man, and there was nothing wrong with me. Over that summer, I was actually put into the Grace Hospital in the psychiatric ward for a couple of days and been assessed, and they came back that I had anxiety. And what had happened through that is because I did have an injury to my brain, I never took care of it. I just continued on playing every Friday, Sunday, Friday, Sunday, and I didn't do anything about it. So, guys, that was that was a summer that I went through depression, anxiety, um, suicidal thoughts, not not seeing myself commit suicide, but just seeing all these negative, dark things. And, and I got through it, thank God, and, and I was able to, you know, go back and play. And once I did... I met Ron Ellis at a golf tournament. He explained his uh, plight, his trials and tribulations with concussion. You know, it's very well documented. He lived through depression. We then started to put two and two together. Hey, we're damaging our brains at an alarming rate. Nobody's really understanding it. we got to do something about it. And that's what Stop Concussion started uh, with great people. I know everybody looks at, you know, the NHL to solve it, the MLA to solve it, all that sort of stuff, NBA Guys, it's up to us as athletes to solve it. We know that we were trained to win at all costs, play through the pain, suck it up. It ain't broke. But we obviously also know that if we keep on damaging something, it's going to get worse. And so now collectively we've got a bunch of great ambassadors like Keith and Wayne and Ron Ellis. We've got a bunch of NHL guys that have come together um, to help us not scare. Sport is great. 
let's just make sure we mitigate the risk of this injury. Kerry Gourlay of uh, Slapshot uh, Golf Tournament, the 40th anniversary at Stop Concussions Foundation at Shoot for a Cure, is our guest here on Mackling and McGarry. Kerry, when we spoke six years ago now, what are some of the things that you might have not have known the answers to back then that you do know now conclusively when it comes to concussions? Because a lot of education has been gleaned over the last, uh, say, decade or so. Absolutely. Um, and it, it's an ongoing, you know, the brain is a very complex organ, so we still don't have a complete handle on it. And obviously you saw the report coming out a few weeks ago out of the Boston University Sports uh, Legacy Group, you know, saying that 90%, 99% of former NFL players, you know, suffered from the disease called CTE, which is chronic traumatic encephalopathy. I, tough word to say when you're concussed. Um what, what I what I learned from it is is that statistics can be skewed to make something look really good or look really bad, and I will never question uh, medical experts. I'm non-medical. I don't I don't fully fully understand all of the chemical changes or the the elongation of you know the neurons and all the technical terms. But what I do understand is that the physical part. I've lived it. I've seen it, and so I really believe from six years ago. The, the medical world is listening more. They're understanding because remember that back then, Kelly, you know, automatically is if you had a concussion, dark space for two weeks yes. or 10 days. Now at least we know that you give the brain time to rest. Give it 48 hours to rest. Make sure you go to a proper a facility that deals with concussions, whether it's a neurologist or a neuropsychologist, or get to one of these great uh, concussion experts all across this country and get it properly diagnosed. That's the most important thing. If you feel that you're injured with a concussion, don't go back until it's properly diagnosed and allow that person to walk you through what the trials and tribulations and what the cause and effect are and, and do not return until you're fully healed. That's the number one thing, Kelly, that's come out of this, is that people are now aware. This isn't the boogeyman. If we understand it, a lot of times, pardon the pun, we stick our head in the sands and we think it's going to go away. Mm -hmm. This is not going away. This is not just a hockey injury. This is a cultural issue. It can happen in a car accident. You can fall down the steps. You can be in a barroom brawl. It can happen at any time. It's 24-7. So let's educate ourselves on it. If we understand the injury, if we understand prevention mechanisms, and that is going to happen when we do this event with Slapshot, we just developed a safer sports platform that's going to educate people how to prevent or mitigate some of these risks. I'll tell you what, we'll continue on playing sport for for decades. But if we don't get a handle on it, it can be devastating. We've heard the horror stories of, you know, players losing their lives uh, through alcoholism, drug use, and obviously suicide. Uh, you know what we'll do, Kelly, is uh, there's more to this conversation. Yes. So let's take a break. Kerry, uh, we'll uh, put you on hold for just a few minutes here. We'll go to a commercial break, and we'll come back because there's more to discuss here. And this is a very uh, valid uh, and important conversation to have here. Uh, so we'll be right back after this. Tristan Field-Jones, Kelly Moore, in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry. On this Monday edition of Mackling and McGarry, your weather is up next. Ice taking happen when uh, the guy take the stick, you know, and he go... Like that, you know, you don't do that. You don't do that. Oh, no, never, never. Why not? Against the rules. You know, you're stupid when you do that. Just some English pig with no uh, brain Dennis, at all, um, you know. What is uh, slashing? Slashing is um, like that, you know. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And um, there's a penalty for that? 
Yeah. Uh, and for a trip also, you know, oh. like that, and mm -hmm. for hook like this, mm -hmm. and uh, for spear, you know, like that. Mm -hmm. All bad. Bad. You do that, you go to the box, you know, uh, two minutes by yourself, and you feel shame, you know, mm -hmm. and then you get free. <laughs> feel shame, and then you get free. <laughs> that is Denny Lemieux. Played by Yvonne Barrett from Slapshot. And, uh, of course, the 40th anniversary is coming up. Well, that will all make sense in a moment as we yeah. return to the conversation. It, it, with and I have to say, it's been a few years since I saw uh, yeah. Slapshot. We have Kerry Goulet joining us. Uh, he's Global Director of Stop Concussions, Co-Chair for Shoot for a Cure. And, Kerry, I promise we'll give you some opportunity to promote this golf tournament. But I want to ask, you you were mentioning about how it's up to athletes, it's up to the players to go out there when it comes to concussions to stop this mentality of play through the pain, to to take care of yourself. I'd be interested in your perspective. How do we get uh, coaching staff on board uh, for this? Because I, I would think anyway, uh, if I know one or two things about sports, is that some of that mentality of play through the pain and don't be well, some of that might come from the coaches. Well, very good point. But I think, you know, again, because it's really fresh when you think about it, it's only been the last eight years where you really try to understand this. It's not a light switch. We can't just turn it on and off. And you guys are old enough to understand that we, we, we fight through the pain. Uh, we've been trained as, as kids in the old days, you know, just to, hey, Johnny, you know, you fall off the swings and get going. And without thinking about what the ramifications are, now we have to be a little bit more understanding that if you fall off that swing set and you bump your head, it could be a problem. And so I think... Um, it's really important as an athlete now to understand the one very important asset that we've all been given, we only get one of them, is our brain. It is the computer of our body. So if we don't take care of it, all those other uh, uh, parts of our body won't function properly. So it's really about when you're deciding to play sport, whether you're deciding to go in a car, let's be focused. When we go to practice, understand that practice, we can get hurt in practice also. So get the basics down. Understand what a, what a brain injury is about. Because we use the word concussion, but it really is only a sexy word for a brain injury. We as athletes say, hey, I've had 10 concussions. You look at me a whole differently. Well, you're a gladiator. But if I say to you, I'm brain injured, there's a whole other stigma. Huh. But I think it's really important that as a person that's participating in sport or a parent putting their kids in sport to be really understanding of the injury and not be scared of it because there are great people doing great work to make sure if there is an injury and injuries happen, you can blow out a knee, you can get in a car of God forsake and get hit by a car. These things happen in life. We shouldn't be scared of it. We should be embrace life and sport is important. So let's make sure we understand that injury and don't know how to treat it properly if, in fact, we have one. Passion rings through loud and clear in your voice, Carrie Goulet. Of course, uh, the reason you were in touch with me a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you have a, a both informative and fun event coming up next week, and people will have heard the uh, uh, the spots uh, for Santa Lucia, our good friends who are front and center with the 40th anniversary Slapshot Golf Tournament. Is there still time for people to enter into this if they haven't done so already? Well, absolutely, and i got to uh, do a shout-out to Greg uh, Tanelichia. He stepped up right off the bat. It's also his 40th anniversary, so it just 
the moon's aligned. Uh, then we got in contact with the Alt Hotel. They've, they've put on a special night on Monday, which is going to be kind of a hot stove, where it's an informative event about the, the concussions and, and, and neurotrauma. And then the boys will be there, and they'll be reenacting, you know, some of the, some of the scenes. And then uh, Botswell uh, Cheese is actually presenting that. That's the Monday night. The Tuesday is a golf tournament. It's going to be at the St. Boniface Golf Course, uh, which is a great course. Uh, we'll be doing, obviously, all the fun and games of the slap shot. They're going to be reciting the lines. They're going to be actually hitting balls with you and, and telling stories about Paul Newman behind the scenes, which never happened again. It's, it's the last time they'll be doing something like this, obviously, in Winnipeg. And then that night to the 19th hole, if you're not a golfer, you can come by and buy some tickets uh, at Santa Lucia on St. Mary's Road, and you can actually have the 19th hole after party, which is going to be great. Uh, a great event where, again, they're going to be doing a bunch of the scenes from the movie. But importantly, just uh, we've got some great things coming. We've got a bunch of slap shot memorabilia. We've got four scripts, the actual scripts that were written, signed by the boys. And one of the uh, grand prizes you can actually get at the live auction, you know it's Timo Solani's induction year. We've been given an exclusive opportunity. You can come down and be a part of any three of those events and bid on the opportunity to come to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, two VIP tickets for the Hockey Classic where you'll get to see Timo get his, uh, his uh, Hockey Hall of Fame and jacket put on. And then you'll actually be able to go to the induction and see him receive his induction uh, 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 clarity. And I just can't tell you, that's a huge prize that the Hockey Hall of Fame has come up with. So there's a lot of things going on, guys, and, and we're really proud that we can bring it to Winnipeg. Okay, Kerry, we're a little bit tight for time here, so a couple, no quick, couple quick hitters here. Uh, how do people enter the golf tournament uh, to, to get into one of those slots? There's still four spots or four uh, foursomes left. You can go to shootprecure.org slash slapshotgolf, and all the information is there about all the events. So if you do that, it's shootprecure.org. Or you can call me. I'm at 416-828-2929. 416-828-2929. I'm your personal, uh, I'll book your personal uh, tour of the event, whether you want to golf, whether you want to come to the after party at Santa Lucia, or you want to show up Monday night at the uh, exclusive event at, at uh, the Alto Hotel. And, and a couple of the characters, I know we played uh, Yvonne Barrett, a.k.a. Denny Lemieux. Uh, the handsome <laughs> boys are going to be there as well, and, and Dr. Well, Hook. Yeah. I just had uh, Danny over in Australia. He's the greatest. I've had him all around the world. Jeff Carlson is coming. Dave Hansen from, from obviously, uh, the Hansen brothers. Uh, we've got uh, Danny Lemieux, of course, as you said, Dr. Hook. And we have uh, a bunch of other characters that are showing up. Jimmy Mann's actually flying in for the event. So we've got a full cast of crew, and we've got a bunch of other celebrities that are going to be involved. One heck of an event. And sure hope uh, if you have some time on the Tuesday, please come and check it out. Okay, so that's next Monday night is the uh, the hot stove, and then uh, next Tuesday is the golf tournament at St. Boniface Golf uh, Club. And and again, we'll we'll all, that slap shot for a cure. Dot ca. Uh, it's shoot. Sorry, shoot for a cure. Shoot dot, for a cure. Dot org. Dot org. Slash slap shot golf. Slap. Uh, slash slap shot. Yeah. Hey, one Go. other quick thing. Okay. I know we're tight for time. Just want to throw this out there. Dave Hansen will be doing the opening fa- opening uh, pitch for the Gold Eyes game that night. We're driving over there after the golf, and they're actually going to take a wrist shot. So if you get a right. chance, go out and check out the Gold Eyes game. We're going to be there from 6 to 7. They're going to be on the promenade, and they're going to actually 
do a wrist shot for the opening pitch. So that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. All righty. Kerry Goulet, he is Global Director of Stop Concussions and Co-Chair for Shoot for a Cure. Again, you can get all those uh, details. Uh, I'm sure we'll probably post something on our Facebook page. Or right, we're just going to say we'll get on that right away. Or we'll have uh, something on our podcast, which you can listen to, cjob.com. Uh, it is coming up to 157. Global News is next. And then we're going to chat. It's Money Mondays. Kelly Keene. Up next here, MacLean McGarry with Tristan Field Jones and Kelly Moore. Welcome back to the show. It is coming up on five minutes after two o'clock. Greg Mackling is away on vacation. Brett McGarry returns on Wednesday, so the inmates are running the <laughs> asylum in their absence. Kelly Moore, Tristan Field Jones, and I'm going to throw Savannah Piers under the bus to our <sighs> erstwhile producer as part of the inmates running the asylum. We're so, all, we all, like this current group we have right now, we're all fill-ins. So That's right what's now, going on. So here. right now, Kelly Keene's wondering, what have I got myself into? Uh-oh. <laughs> Kelly Keene, are you are you comfortable? You can bail out if you want. If but, uh, you know what? I'm in there, guys. I'm in there. I'm, I'm ready for some fun. It's Monday. Uh, we're at the asylum. I'm in. I'm in. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, Kelly, we have you on uh, uh, once in a while to chat, we, to chat about uh, Money Mondays, essentially. And you know, Kelly, I really think that when it comes to financial literacy, we simply, I, I, I think there's no such thing as too much education when it comes to this. So I'm always happy to do these segments. I think the more people are, 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 are informed about how to spend their money and how to spend it wisely, the better we all are. Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciate you having me on. I know some people are like, look, really, do we need to keep talking about money? But we do because Canadians owe more than ever before. We are... Uh, we owe a dollar sixty-seven for every dollar that we bring in. Now I'm going to put you guys on the spot. I put Greg and um, Brett and Brett on on the spot last time. So for every dollar we bring in, we owe one dollar and sixty-seven right now. What do you think that number was in the 1970s? How? Or excuse me, the 1980s. How much do you think mm-hmm. we owed for every dollar we brought in? I'm going to guess a dollar ten. I'm going to be a little more than that. I'm going to say maybe a dollar twenty-five. Sounds reasonable, right? We only owed sixty-six cents. This should like blow your mind. It so, does. Now, w- what was going on in the 1980s? Double-digit interest rates. Um, it was a totally different time, a totally different culture, and it was only a few decades ago. No one thought of ticking off their bucket list at 30 or 40 or 50 and financing that on a line of credit. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, no one took out equity from their home to renovate their kitchen. And the number one rule in economics is that incentives drive the market. So if, if interest rates are in the double digits, what, what would we have been doing? We would have been saving money. That would have been the conversation. Now, fast forward to today, and everyone says to me, hey, but it's like, it's just about free money. It's so cheap, you know, why not? Why not uh, tour the world and, and do everything that you want to do? But my goodness, I, I, the last stat I heard uh, that 50% of Canadians were $200 away from not being able to pay their bills. And I could go on and on with a few, uh, you know, doom and gloom numbers that I won't. But it just kind of signifies that, hey, um, you know, financial literacy is one thing, but also taking that action to empower ourselves so we can actually be debt-free one day, retire in the manner that we want to is so much more important. So um, always thrilled to be chatting with you gentlemen on such a, what I think is an important subject. Yeah. So Kelly, let's start with then the basics. What would be, say, the first one or two things you would recommend 
to anybody because the, the the big thing here is you cannot dig yourself out of a, that deep of a hole in a month or even a year. Yeah. So in the steady as she goes type of mentality, what are one or two things that we should focus on? Yeah, that's such a great question. So if we were chatting right after New Year's and we were talking about our health, it would be so simple. All of the you know health experts would say, look, you got to figure out where you are with your health. You got to get on a scale. You got to take a deep breath, and you got to see where your calories are going. Take an inventory of your health. So that's the very first thing I tell people is, you need to take an inventory of your financial health. Where are you sitting now? This can take a little bit of time, and it can be stressful, and it can be tough. Uh, some people maybe haven't opened up their credit card bills in a long time. Maybe uh, they owe some money to Revenue Canada. Maybe they just just really aren't aware. So that's the very first step is be gentle with yourself. If you've never done it, it might take a little bit of time. It might take a little investigative work to figure out, do you have life insurance at work? Do you have a pension? If so, what's it, you know, it going to pay you at retirement? Now, as you're doing this inventory, if you haven't done this before, that's probably a red flag that you need some help, okay? If you've done all this, for those, those of your listeners that are like, yeah, 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 I've got a budget, I, I know everything, okay, that's great. Those people are doing a good job. But for a lot, of, a lot of people that have never done this, they need a little hand-holding along the way. So who are some people you should look to? You should maybe talk to your banker. You should talk to a certified financial planner. Maybe you should talk to a nonprofit credit counselor if things are really bad, there's, you know, bill collectors calling. But, but guys, you know what? I will get, and I'm sure some of your listeners are even thinking about this, when I talk about this across the country on radio stations, we'll get callers saying, you know, but i got to have a plan before I go talk to the banker. I, I, I've got to have a plan before you go and talk to the credit counselor or the planner. And that's really the, the wrong mentality because you don't have a plan before you go to the doctor. You don't have a plan when you've just gone to see someone once about your health. And, and the same thing, unfortunately, uh, is happening when it comes to our finances is uh, we don't know where we are and we're not reaching out for help when we need to. So those, those are the two things that I, I would recommend starting with. And again, be gentle because it might take a little time to get on that path as you're trying to figure out where you are financially. Kelly pointed to us, by the way, uh, a fantastic article uh, about 50 uh, money tips, essentially. And each tip is only a few sentences long. And I think to myself, you know, Kelly, when I was going through the article and it's broken down by subjects, you know, uh, first financial basics, how to budget, uh, you know, looking at interest rates, that sort of thing. And Kelly, I looked at this and I thought, this is so simple it's so easy it's broken down so uh, uh it's so easy to understand well because you did so that's why we know right but it's why is this not so easy for so many other people out there well you, you know and, and tristan kelly it's 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 simple but it's not necessarily easy i mean I, i'm going to go back to the health analogy again why are there so many overweight doctors that don't exercise they know what to do it's just unfortunately really hard to do it. And it's actually part of it is our brains. We're hardwired for instant gratification. We, we have a hard time connecting with that person 20 years from now. Uh, that, that person seems so, so far away. So why not have fun today? And quite frankly, if a person is in a lot of debt or really worried about their finances or not done any of these simple things, it can seem like overwhelm. So you're right. This article just had 
so many great little simple things. Here's one, for example, for, for those listening that haven't really done anything with their finances, just go right now and put it in your calendar. And it can be a month from now. It can be six months from now. Just go put in your calendar a date that you're going to have with yourself. You're going to have a money date. And start to put some stuff in your Outlook calendar or on your iPhone in a reminder and say, okay, this month I'm going to figure out my net worth. Next month, if I haven't opened up a TFSA, I'm going to do that, even if I don't have any money to put in it. Uh, the next month, I'm going to call someone up and find out if I should open up uh, an RSP, whatever. And just put one thing that would only take 10 minutes, put it in your calendar, have a reminder, set it, and make it a priority. Because, you know, uh, as we've talked about, Tristan, before, being in debt, not taking charge of your finances feels really bad. And as soon as you make some small little steps, uh, that feels so incredibly good. And then you want to yeah. do more. Progress is a great motivator. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Kelly Keene is our guest. She is the personal finance educator and consumer advocate with the Financial Planning Standards Council. And Kelly, uh, just before we go to break here, yeah. I thought one of the great pieces of advice that you gave was, A, take a look at who you owe your money to, whether it's to various accounts or whatever, and uh, decide okay, or find out through research which one has the highest interest rate, which one has the lowest interest rate, and and maybe uh, try to get all of your debt into that lowest interest rate. And it's amazing how much money you'll save just by doing that simple thing. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that would be calling it a consolidation loan. Uh, that's one way that you could go. You could just negotiate down your interest rate. But exactly, if you've got a credit card where you're paying 20% interest, maybe 28% interest, you have a line of credit that's at a couple of percent and maybe a car loan in between, and you sit down and crunch those numbers. Exactly. If you could get that all down to a lower rate, let's say uh, all bundled into a line of credit or something of that sort. And again, if you can't crunch those numbers, if you don't even know how to go about that, give your banker a call. Give, you know, uh, just do, do a little bit of investigation because that could mean the difference between hundreds, if not thousands of dollars over the life of those loans and, and credit cards. We're going to take a quick break here. Kelly, stay on the line with us because we still have plenty more to discuss. Uh, we will, we're chatting with Kelly Keene, Money Mondays here, on some financial advice. Great article with 50 really simple tips to help uh, save your money and to spend wisely. Uh, we have weather coming up. It's Tristan Field-Jones, Kelly Moore in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry on this Monday afternoon. It is not Greg Mackling or Brett McGarry. It is Tristan Field-Jones and Kelly Moore with you on this lovely Monday afternoon. We are joined by Kelly Keene, Money Mondays. We're talking how a few simple tips on how to uh, save your money, spend it wisely. And as I mentioned at the top of the hour here, I think we can never have enough financial education out there. Um, Kelly, what are the tips? And we're, we're going through this article here, which has uh, 50 uh, money-saving tips. Fantastic article if you have the chance to take a look at it. One of my favorite things on here, Kelly, is consider an all-cash diet. Now, I very rarely use plastic. I, in fact, prefer going to uh, the ATM to withdraw the money so that I've got something physical, especially if it's for smaller purchases. So I've got something physical in my wallet, and it gives me a, a, a physical, uh, or, or rather a visual um, uh, cue, if you will, a visual identity that of what I'm spelling. I know that that is a $20 bill I'm handing out and not a bunch of numbers on a piece of paper. So, Kelly, why would, now it works for me, maybe it doesn't work for everyone, but why would an all-cash diet potentially help you save money? 
Yeah, you know what? You nailed it right on the head. It, it feels visceral, right? You can feel it in your hands. Also, what happens, what's going on for you that a lot of people don't realize is that when you're paying with cash, a part of your brain actually lights up and feels a loss. Like it's coming out of your wallet. It's coming out of your purse. You're feeling a loss. When you are using credit or debit, even though you're using debit and that is your money, it's not credit, your brain doesn't, doesn't comprehend that. And especially with tap and go or with paying with your mobile device, it is so vague, so nebulous. Your brain's just like, ah, eh, it doesn't even register it. So super, super important. I, I make my husband and I go on a cash diet at least one week every couple of months. Now, we don't have kids, but if I did, this would be even more important. I go through this with my niece and nephews and just, you know, talk to them about, look, this is how much money it took me to earn. Like, who sees money anymore? Like you were saying, taking it out of your ATM. Who actually goes to their ATM? <laughs> not enough people, clearly. <laughs> no, not enough people. Like Even myself, I rarely get a check in the mail. I'm self-employed. Most of my stuff is direct deposited. If I do get a check, I like take a picture of it, and it instantly goes into my bank account. It takes effort to go and get cash, uh, but it's so, so important. Now, there's a couple of schools of thought here. Some people are horrible with cash. Yes, it's important for them to get the tangibility, but then they lose track of the money they spent. And I'm sure some of the people listening are like, yeah, 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 that's me. And so it's important to do a comb- it, it You have to know yourself. So some financial experts will say, look, if you put everything on a credit card, you've got the accounting there for you. You've got some protection as a consumer. So a caveat to paying cash, guys, is if you're making a big purchase, Let's say you're buying a big piece of furniture or you're booking a trip or something of that sort. Really consider using a credit card. And the reason why is you have, you have protection as a consumer uh, that you don't have with cash. Or let's say, for example, some, you know, um, it's just about fall. Someone's coming to the house. They want to sell you some roofing or siding or something of that sort. You don't know if they're legit or not. If you pay them with cash, you have no recourse if they walk away, if they're fraudulent, or they go out of business. So that's just a little caveat there. But back to the whole cash discussion, I mean, it begs the question, too, about, like, what if there's an emergency? What if the the point-of-sale terminals go down? I mean, I think to the floods in Calgary not that long ago. I think to blackouts in Toronto. um, And what's happening in British Columbia right now with the wildfires. Exactly. And there's so many people ill-prepared for, you know, some type of a short-term emergency. And I, I hope that, you know, your, some of your listeners take pause, as I do often as well, and say, how much cash do you need as a family in your home, you know, within your wallet? It's, it's um, a little tip that I always do is I always have a little American money on me. Now, yes, our, our dollars aren't par anymore, but it's kind of like my emergency money that I'm not going to cash or use unless I really, really need to. But it's important for us to be walking around or having a little bit of cash. So, um, but then also back to the credit card can be a great way to keep track. Yes, you get the rewards points. Yes, about 60% of Canadians pay their credit card off every month, but 40% are not. Mm. So if you are in that 40%, uh, that all-cash diet maybe should extend until you're out of debt. So it's kind of knowing yourself and what works best for you, but yeah, we got to use cash once in a while and talk to our kids about what it means because they're not seeing it at all. 
Yeah, and of course, the other thing, too, with respect to if you're all cash, it is virtually impossible to establish any kind of a credit rating. So, that's another reason to maybe use your credit cards, aside from the reward points, also to, to, to establish a solid credit rating, but use those cards responsibly. Wow, you are giving my kids away now. That is brilliant. And on this article list, uh, checking your credit score, understanding your credit score was one of those tips, and you're so right. If you go through life thinking that, hey, you're going to save up for your car and pay cash, you're going to save up for your student, you know, you're not going to take a student loan, you're going to pay cash for everything. When you go to buy a home or to get credit for something, you're right, you may not have any credit rating and actually be seen almost as bad as having a poor credit rating. So you're right. The takeaway there is get some type of a a, a reasonable credit card, maybe a no-fee, low-interest-rate credit card. You want to use your credit regularly, pay it off entirely if you can. The ideal is try not to ever have more than 25% of whatever credit is granted to you. So, for example, if you had a $1,000 limit on your credit card, try never to have more than a $250 balance on it because, you know, the lower that balance and ideally zero every single month is just going to increase your credit score. And then just very lastly, stay away from the department store card. You know how (laughs) maybe not you gentlemen, but some people are in line getting ready to make some major purchases and the cashier says, you know what, if you sign up for a credit card right now, you're going to get 10 or 15 or 20 percent off. And wow, a lot of people think that that's a great deal, but the problem is, is those cards are not good for your credit score. They pull it down because they're easier to approve for, and they generally come with a 29% interest rate. Um, So those are a big no-no. Stay away from those. Yeah, that that happened to me once. I was shopping at a retailer. I won't say which one, but I was shopping, and, uh, you know, the stuff I bought, uh, I assumed that it was, you know, that markdown price, but no, you need that retailer's credit card before you get it uh, yeah yes. exactly he said so to which when they said well if you get the credit card you get this off to which i said well uh, i will go shop somewhere else and get it off anyway thank you very much <laughs> so that's just my mentality when it comes to this anyway uh kelly we're out of time here but uh as always it's a pleasure chatting with you where can we find this article online kelly uh, you know what? I will tweet it out to you, gentlemen. Uh, as soon as we get off the phone, I'll mm-hmm. tweet it out to you, and Perfect. it'll be up on, on the Twitter universe. Yeah, just Or just uh, even if you just Google you know, 50 financial tips, it'll probably come up as one oh, of the first perfect. ones there, there too. But yeah. yeah, we'll certainly tweet that yeah, out. And, and then, then we'll then... add that to our Facebook page. Absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. there you have it. Yeah. Kelly Keene, again, thank you so much. Money Mondays with Kelly Keene. Uh, just some great uh, tips for financial literacy. And uh, like I said, Kelly, you can never be too financially educated. No, that is for sure. Just a quick traffic trip before uh, tip, rather, before we break away for uh, news, uh, global news at the bottom of the hour. Susan has just texted us at 204 6868 between Lage and Panet of all the places. Eastbound Regent stalled concrete truck. I'll tell you, that is the bottleneck between Lage and Panet up in Transcona. And there's a stalled concrete truck right now in the eastbound. She doesn't say whether it's the curb or whether it's the median lane, uh, but eastbound region, watch out for and that stalled concrete rush truck. Rush hour is less than an hour away here, so uh, oof, good luck I, with that. I caramba, as they say. Yeah. Tristan Field-Jones, Kelly Moore, in for Brett McGarry and Greg Mackling. Uh, when we come back after Global News at 2.30, we're going to get a little serious here, and we're going yeah. to discuss the Charlottesville demonstrations that ended up turning quite violent this blew up twitter i would say it was the talk of the weekend and we want to know 
How did we get here? And how do we get out of the situation? That's coming up next. What you're listening to right now is audio taken from Charlottesville, Virginia, and it's disturbing, to say the least. This was taken on Saturday when a car rammed into counter-protesters in an event that uh, even the Attorney General of the U.S. is referring to as domestic terrorism. This was after white nationalists, neo-Nazis, members of the KKK, whatever you want to call them, a hate group, essentially. Tristan Field-Jones here, Kelly Moore. We're in for Brett McGarry and Greg Mackling. Um, Kelly, just before we get to our guest here, I don't know about you, but without a doubt, from what I saw, this was the biggest story over the weekend, and everyone was talking about it. It, it certainly was, and it, it, it struck home. I, I wasn't aware of it because I was away mm-hmm. uh, at an event, and I wasn't really paying much attention to uh, Twitter feed or anything else. I thought I was enjoying music at the Barbecue Blue and Blues Festival. But, of course, you know, catching the news feed when we arrived back home, uh, it, it, I guess the thought that crossed my mind is either I've been living in a bubble or it is extremely frightening that there are still groups out there today like the one that was marching in Charlottesville, Virginia, the white supremacist group. Like, yeah, I, and I could be totally naive and probably am. And and you know, people will say, "Well, of course you are, you idiot." But uh, I I I just find it unbelievable that people can have that mindset in this day and age. We, uh, I had a similar reaction to that too. I could not, the footage I was seeing, I could not believe this came from the United States of America. We, we need to get to the bottom of this and we need to figure out what is going on here. I've asked, he's one of our good friends of the station here, Patrick Basham, director of the Democracy Institute uh, in the US. He is fabulous at getting to the bottom of what's going on there. And Patrick, I'm sure you've been following these events closely over the last 48 hours and, uh, you know, to start off the conversation, I just would be interested in getting your thoughts real quick. Thank you, Tristan. Good to be with you guys. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's a reminder of how far American society still has to go. Although, and this, and this may sound slightly insensitive, but it is important in terms of the larger picture of what you gentlemen have touched on in your introduction. That is your shock and horror that such groups still exist. It is important that I think that we don't oversell their story. The tragedy of the deaths cannot be oversold. You know, it, it, is a, it is a huge tragedy that occurred on Saturday in Charlottesville, Virginia. But in terms of these groups and who they represent, you know, they continue to represent a real tangible slice of American society, but it's a very, very small one. Uh, It's not that, well, obviously there are Americans who hold racist views, but in this case, we're talking about groups who, you know, wish to overthrow the government. They want a race war. They are violent. They advocate violence. They practice violence if they get the opportunity to do so. Um, That is not 
you know, that, that is a very, very, very small minority view. Uh, these, are, these are small groups. They don't have a lot of money. They rely on the oxygen of publicity. And that's why, as on Saturday, they come along with their permit for their rally and they come ready for action. Uh, they, they come looking for trouble, hoping for trouble, so that their cause, as they would put it, uh, gets the attention that they think it merits. And of course, they, knew, they know, as they have known for decades, that there are dedicated activists on the other side who focus on their types of groups and who are willing not just to counter demonstrate, but to you know, meet physicality with physicality, as, as everyone has seen you know, for the past 48 hours on the television. Uh, so they, the, the, the Nazis and the white supremacists who, who do these things, they know that if they push it far enough, there's a good chance these days that the other side, that is the activists on the other side, will literally push back and then you'll have the kinds of scenes that we had. Um, no one knows to this point, I don't believe, whether the, you know, the murder of the one uh, counter-demonstrator when the, uh, the Nazi person you know, drove his car into the crowd, whether that was premeditated or it was a spur of the moment you know, uh, act on his part. Uh, but it doesn't matter in terms of where these groups are coming from. They simply want attention for their message in inverted commas, and they think that any publicity is good publicity. Patrick, uh, in the best interests of balance, and I say that through gritted teeth, but uh, the gentleman who was the leader of this rally, if I can use that term, uh, pointed a finger at the Charlotte police and laid the blame at their feet for not providing the protection that they had promised. Uh, I don't know enough about that situation to make a comment on whether that's a valid accusation or not. Would you be able to? Um, I don't know for a fact if it's valid in this case, but it's certainly it's possible that the police, as they are sometimes instructed by local officials, uh, may have taken a, a particularly hands off approach to the counter demonstrators. Um, the counter demonstrators of, of various races, but having um, you know, being on the side of the angels, I think most people would agree in this case, that is opposing the message of, of, of the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists. I would imagine that the local officials in Charlottesville would have wanted to ensure that the counter demonstrators uh, did not get any, uh, were not intimidated or in any way coerced or felt um, pressured by the local police. Uh, Therefore, they, the local police may have been instructed to you know, be especially courteous, to be especially careful. If that's the case, then, of course, it's, it's convenient then for the leader of the neo-Nazi uh, rally folks to say, well, look, you know, we weren't protected. It, it, you know, this, this is what we're complaining about. You know, everything's turned upside down. You know, we white people can't get a, you know, a fair shake even from the police. Um, I imagine that we will find out definitively whether that kind of instruction was given to the police. But right now, it's just conjecture. But from a, from a PR point of view, the Nazi uh, folks are simply going to throw out 
you know, throw as much mud at the wall as they can and hope that some or any of it sticks, uh, in which case they would claim that they have, uh, you know, their side has a little more merit to it. It is difficult as that to both believe and to, you know, regurgitate for public consumption. Uh, Patrick, one of the most, surprisingly, one of the most shocking elements of this was the president's response uh, on Saturday when this was happening. Melania Trump was tweeting out and calling out the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists by name. People from across the political spectrum were doing this, and the president didn't call these people out until today, almost two days later. I mean, he condemned the violence for sure. But by mentioning the white supremacist groups and the neo-Nazis by name, it took him a while to do that. I have to ask, when you look at the the politics of this, it's Mm. what what was going on there? Why wait? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, uh, because substantively, I don't think there was too much wrong with what Donald Trump said on Saturday in real time. Uh, you know, condemning the violence, uh, and there was violence all around, and some of the counter-demonstrators clearly, as they have done in the past, showed up, as the neo-Nazis do, sort of looking, hoping for trouble. Uh, So what he said was, I think, accurate and, you know, appropriate. The problem, and I say in a substantive sense, the problem is that, as you suggest, he missed uh, the political moment, because as we all know, in politics, perception if not, it may not be reality, but it often seems as if it's a, you know, it's a good surrogate. And what he needed to do then was what he did today. That is, say everything he said, but include an ad, in fact, probably preface the whole thing with an explicit condemnation of those who were holding the rally uh, in the first place uh, and those who had, you know, were responsible for the, for the deaths that occurred. Um, if he had done that, it wouldn't have satisfied his harshest critics. They, it's impossible to satisfy them. They still would have found fault in what he said. But for those, for lack of a better term, sort of in the middle, who don't love him, don't hate him, and hope he does well, but aren't particularly optimistic, um, they, I think they would have found it reassuring and they would have found it appropriate. Um, clearly, the White House missed that whether it was Trump himself or the people around him, they had a tin ear when it came to how explicit and specific he needed to be. 48 hours later, later, or less than 48 hours later, they realized by yesterday that they'd made a mistake um, or an omission, a major omission. They had a PR issue and they've attempted to deal with it today. Now, his critics say, predictably, was well, too little too late. So he, he's, he's never going to get back to where he could have been. Um, but I do think it's important that he's said what he said today, both because it's, a, it's an important message that people need to hear and also because it demonstrates that um, he or someone around him does get it now, even if on the weekend he and they didn't appear to fully get it. Patrick Basham is with the Democracy Institute uh, discussing the demonstrations, the violent demonstrations that took place over the weekend in Charlottesville, Virginia. We're going to press pause on this conversation for the moment, Patrick. We'll go for a quick break, but we still have lots to discuss here on Mackling and McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones and Kelly Moore. Your weather is up next.
Brett McGarry and Greg Mackling are off today. It's Tristan Field Jones and Kelly Moore with you, and we're chatting with Patrick Basham, director of the Democracy Institute in the U.S., about the violent and deadly demonstrations in Charlottesville, Virginia, over the weekend. Again, scenes of horror, and you know, as we, as I mentioned previously, you you simply cannot believe this is happening in the United States. But as Patrick mentioned, it's important not to oversell this either. It's tragic, mm-hmm. but it is thankfully a very small minority of Americans. Patrick, uh, I figured that after the election, uh, some of the um, vitriol, for lack of a better word, some of that might have calmed down a little bit. But it seems as if, from an outsider perspective, uh, it's still at the surface. How do we get to this position where we're now dealing with violent demonstrations? Again, you mentioned it's uh, it's important not to oversell this, but I feel as if this is a symptom of a bigger problem. Oh, it certainly is. Uh, We are at a very sad uh, place in terms of American political life, uh, where on many sides, I think because there's more than two sides uh, at play here on a whole variety of overlapping and interrelated issues, um, on many, perhaps almost all sides, the, the sort of default position is that My opinion is not only correct, but it is so correct that it must be the the position, the opinion that carries the day. Not simply that it should because of the weight of my argument, but I know it to be correct. I know it to be true. And And therefore, your opinion is not simply one that I oppose or what in the old days we would say, you know, I oppose your view, but I respect your view and I respect your right to hold it. Today, that's that, that old-fashioned classical notion that I think is an, you know, a central underpinning of a liberal democracy and a free society, that's gone. Uh, people are saying or think, saying to others or thinking about others who hold differing opinions that you do not have the right to have that opinion. You do not have the right to state it. You do not have the right to sort of act upon it in in a political way. And that's bad enough if there's a a large enough group in society on one side or another of an argument who holds that view. But it seems increasingly that a good number of people on many sides and on many issues hold that sort of view. And so you're we find ourselves in a situation where no one is, no one's listening to anybody else. In fact, they're not simply they're sim- not simply uninterested in what you have to say because it differs to what I think, but they don't really care whether you have the right to say it. They're never going to read or listen to anything you you write or say, and so you have whether it's through the media, whether it's through our personal lives, social media. Um, People are almost exclusively consuming information that reinforces uh, the prejudice, bias, and opinions they already hold. I mean, we all as human beings have a tendency to do that, but I think most people, as they become educated and they live their lives, they realize, you know, not everything they think have always thought may be true. And, you know, we tweak our views, we have experiences, we meet different people, we learn different things, we go to different places. That, I think, is happening less because we are simply reinforcing what we know to be true and and ignoring and rejecting other views. And I think what this takes on 
is almost a sort of a religious feel to it, uh, whereby we've decided individually that there's this, you know, this truth with a capital T. And once we know what it is, then that is that. And it has a sort of a fundamentalist religious you know, vibe to it. And I think the mindset that goes with that is very dangerous. And so we see that not just in Charlottesville, on both sides, really, even though one side would appear to have you know, far more sanity and, and rationale on its side. But we see it with Donald Trump in general. You know, people, some people love Donald Trump. A lot of people hate him, but they don't just hate his ideas or their views or him personally. They hate his family. Uh, they, they, you know, they think he shouldn't be allowed to be president. Uh, they think he should be assassinated. Uh, they're, they're going to demonstrate and protest and against everything he ever does. And they can, they consider themselves, you know, the resistance. They consider themselves the noble ones who are the ones fighting the good fight. And they're not willing to, you know, brook any kind of debate about that. So, Patrick, in 45 seconds then, as you were talking about that, I was it was dovetailing neatly into the question I had. And that is, uh, is this central to the United States or is there anywhere in the world that we are not sad and that we are not polarized? It seems to be where uh, thematically uh, pro- uh, applicable throughout the West for certain. It is, it is the way that our respective democracies have developed for a whole bunch of reasons. And I think it's it might be worse in the United States because of the, the nature of the system and in part because of the comparative transparency and openness of the system and the importance of the system. Not only Americans are watching, everyone's paying attention and it's all there for us in, you know, in color every day. Uh, but it's a problem that Canadians, Brits, Australians, everyone needs to be looking out for because I think there are elements of this. And I say they're on the left, they're on the right. It's not a it's not a you know a one-sided thing problem. And it's something which arguably is is skewed, uh, particularly towards the millennial generation for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, so it's not therefore it's not a problem that demographically is going to get better. I think we have to be very careful mm-hmm. because if anything, it's going to get worse. Patrick Basham, uh, thank you so much for your insight. Very valuable. I'm sure we'll be chatting uh, again regarding this because, as you mentioned, this is not an issue that's going to go away. Patrick, thanks again. My pleasure. Thank you. Patrick Basham, Democracy Institute, discussing the demonstrations in Charlottesville, Virginia. Yeah, I think after the news, let's let's go into a little bit of positive news yes just to lighten the moment if you will yeah let's do that uh we will have uh, global news with uh weather coming up at three o'clock and then uh, i'm sure we've received a little bit of feedback for the show we might discuss that we also have an interview with scott jossen of the manitoba hotel association regarding the canada games and the success of that so all of that coming up in the three o'clock hour tristan field jones kelly moore in for brett mcgarry and greg mackling tristan field jones and kelly moore in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry on this Monday afternoon. Hopefully getting yourself home, getting home safe and sound. Uh, it's been uh, a bit of a depressing weekend with all the news coming out of Charlottesville, Virginia. And uh, again, the ongoing tensions with North Korea. And we're just getting word of a possible another attack just east of Paris. We will keep you up to date with that. But we do have some good news to share. Um, as you mentioned, the Canada Summer Games 
was a huge success. Uh, the hospitality industry certainly benefited substantially from that. So we figured we would chat with Scott Jocelyn. He's president and CEO of the Manitoba Hotel Association um, about some early feedback he's been receiving regarding the Canada Summer Games. A huge success by all means. Uh, I know from people who weren't even following the athletics quite closely, who were attending the festival at the Forks. There were so many activities and so many people in town. Uh, initial impressions, what have you heard from uh, the people from the Hotel Association so far regarding the success of the Games? Well, I guess first I'd like to just tip my cap to everyone who's involved in uh, you know, the organization of the Games and... and uh, you know, not not surprising to me as a long a long time Winnipegger that we would put our you know that we would put our best foot forward to the stuff going on in the city and surrounding areas. But you know, lots of positive stories, uh, just all the great events that were happening. And and uh, you know, we wish there was one every uh, we wish there was one every year. Um, you know, the um, from the hotel perspective, there will be people that would be really really excited about how it had gone. And there'll be people that, uh, you know, their expectations uh, didn't quite meet their expectations. But, you know, that's not usually a surprise for us. There's, uh, you know, hoteliers have high expectations. We have so many rooms we want to fill. We want to make sure they're full every night. And uh, if a room isn't full, then there's an opportunity, an opportunity wasted. But I think for the most part, uh, people are really excited about the games. Scott, I don't know uh, how the percentages work on a on a regular basis, but in terms of an event like the Canada Summer Games, you'd have officials and family and, and friends and that sort of thing who would book well in advance. But is there also a percentage for those pleasant surprises where all of a sudden there's a, a, a groundswell of reservations that come in that might not have been expected? Well, I, I think the thing that's interesting about, and every event, Kelly, is different. Uh, you know, we, you know, I've been referenced re- recently in the media talking again about the Heritage Classic and how that was so special. And it just took something like, you know, the Leafs played a couple of days before the Edmonton game and the whole week was busy. So you can't you can't take one event and say it's going to be like this. There's always that that surprise. I think the interesting thing about uh, the summer games is that you know it happened in the summer. Some of our some of our hotels would not be as busy in the summer as others. Uh, people big hotels that are doing lots of corporate business and not a lot of people traveling in the summer. So uh, those hotels would be not as busy. Uh, but again, any activity coming to the city is is great. And uh, with the with the Canada Games, you know a lot of people. Uh, you know, you, you may know of some people that have high-performance athletes. Uh, their parents are spending lots of money, uh, lots of money uh, with training and coaching of these athletes. Sometimes the, those people aren't the people that are staying in the, the top end, highest, uh, you know, the uh, you know the, the creme de la creme of hotels, uh, and they're they're looking for more of a budget experience. And some of those people did really well with the games. At what point uh, did you get any indication that things were going well? I know you're still kind of collecting data, and you know any hard numbers will be uh, won't be released for a while. But at what point did you guys get an indication that things were going well? Well, I really try hard to uh, stick, uh, you know, work closely with our with our operators. They're calling our office, uh, you know, on a regular basis with questions that they have, issues that they have in running their properties. So, you know, it wouldn't be a scientific, uh, you know, more it wouldn't be a scientific study at this point, but just some of the initial feedback that I would get from people, you know, right from the uh, right from the uh, opening ceremonies and 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 you know just the response that people had and the great stories and. 
I always like, I mean, again, being from here, I love when people come here and, uh, you know, maybe their expectations weren't what they thought. There have been, you know, I heard stories of people that hadn't been here in a while and they couldn't believe how the city had grown up and how so many things were going on. And lots of times we're just putting our, our, our best foot forward for the next experience where somebody maybe they wouldn't look at, at uh, coming to Winnipeg or Manitoba as, a, as their first thought. And now that they've been here and they've seen all the great things that are going on, you know, more likely for a return visit. And we get really excited about that. In conversation with Scott Johnson, who is the CEO and president of the Manitoba Hotels Association. Scott, I've always wondered, and I don't know uh, if groups like yourselves are consulted, but when a hosting committee says, yeah, we're going to realize $150 million in economic spinoffs or whatever, uh, do they go to you folks as well for your input to try? I've always wondered, how do you arrive at this particular number? Yeah, the, the smarter people than me, Kelly. <laughs> smarter people than me come up with the numbers. Uh, you know, they we have a great relationship with Tourism Winnipeg and Travel Manitoba. Uh, obviously, when uh, when the the city and province is looking to put on an event such as this, you need places for people to stay. Uh, so we had a great relationship working with them. Uh, we're kind of kind of kept up to speed with the issues, like the events that they're trying to attract here. Um, I usually go to my standard uh, pitch and say, you know, any event is great for the city, the province. Uh, not only does the hotel industry benefit when there's an event, lots of other industries uh, benefit. It's just a great way to put, again, our best foot forward. And, you know, we wish we could have a big events like this, you know, every week. That would just be fabulous for us. Scott, I know one of the big issues uh, that's been kind of ongoing, and especially in downtown, is uh, the lack of hotels or conference rooms when we get an event like the Canada Summer Games, and especially with you know, growing population and more and more things to do here in Winnipeg, does this at all strain the capacity of, of our hotels, or are we still doing okay in that, uh, in that area? Well, I think we, you know, there are times, being totally honest, there are times I'd probably like to pick up some of the properties and move them from one location to another. There are times that certain areas of the city would, would fill up quicker than others, depending, you know, depending on the event. But, you know, the reality is if there's a big event here, we probably, there are times we probably don't have enough rooms, could have more rooms. But, um, but you know, the hotels have to survive 365 days a year. Uh, so the, unfortunately, there are times that the uh, the amount of hotels uh, far exceeds the uh, the need for the rooms. So, you know, we we uh, work that delicate balance. And again, we just uh, every time there's an event here, we benefit. And the more events, the better it is for the city. That is Scott Jocelyn, president and CEO of the Manitoba Hotel Association, discussing the uh, um, aftermath, if you will, from the Canada Summer Games. Sounds really good so far, but we won't get any hard numbers uh, for at least a few weeks, Scott was telling us. So we'll see what economic impact they had. But again, good news all around for folks in the hospitality industry. We have traffic and weather coming up next. Kelly Moore? Uh you know, I know we mentioned this at the top of the show, but I figured right before we go to break, I just wanted a few more thoughts on yourself when it came to, again, the Canada Summer Games. I just, I can't say enough good things about it, and I wasn't even that involved with it, and I just think it was such a good thing. Well, I'll tell you, Tristan, with, uh, oh, what the heck, I am a gray beard, <laughs> so uh, sounding like one, I could not help but draw the parallel between 2017 and 1999 when Winnipeg hosted the Pan American Games, and leading up to those games... Uh, there were some uh, predictions of doom and gloom. Nobody's going to come and watch. It's going to be a total bust. It'll be an absolute failure, blah, blah, blah. And the 1999 Pan American Games 
were something that anybody who was involved with will never forget. And I would suspect that those same kind of positive experiences were realized over the past two weeks with the 50th anniversary of the Canada Games. Tristan Field-Jones, Kelly Moore in for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry. Traffic and weather is up next. There is no Greg Mackling, no Brett McGarry, but there is a Tristan Field-Jones and a Kelly Moore filling in. This is also known as summer staffing around here. It's been a little bit crazy, but we're getting by, we're getting through. Um, Kelly, you found a great article. We were discussing the, the demonstrations in Charlottesville, Virginia. You found a great article about what the CFL was doing kind yeah. of in response to this. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because uh, last night I'm watching the BC Lions get tattooed by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders 41 to 8 in Regina. But I see Wally Buono wearing this T-shirt that says diversity is strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I knew there had to be a story behind the story. And, and again, I, I was watching the game. I wasn't I, When I watch a game, I'm not sitting there on my phone. I'm watching the game. I do it old style, old school. So I knew that this might have something to do with what happened in Charlottesville. And sure enough, that's exactly what it was. Uh, CFL players and coaches donned those shirts to celebrate not only the 150th celebration of Canada, but also to shine a spotlight on inclusiveness and unity following the events that took place in Virginia on the weekend. So good on the Canadian Football League to do that. Uh, you know, when you have a guy like the Godfather, who I uh, very respectfully refer to Wally Buono as, he is uh, uh, the guy that's been around the Canadian Football League. Well, maybe only Bob Irving's been around longer than him. But, uh, you know, for Wally Buono to be front and center, to be sending that message, I think only speaks volumes for where the league is. And, and uh, Kelly, if I may, for for just a little bit here, it's it's this is not the first time that a, a kind of a major sports league has done something like this. No. Or I mean, we've seen uh, in the NFL. I can think of a couple occasions where some of the players there will, uh, in you know, in solidarity with yes. events yeah. that happen, they will make a demonstration on the field. Well, sure, and uh, I know LeBron James for a warm up in the NBA had Black Lives Matter, right? You know? So yeah, to. And to connect those type of messages to what happened in Charlottesville, Charlottesville, Virginia, I will, I will respect your opinion. I will not agree with it. If you're going to say that what happened there can be connected to an athlete sending a message on a T-shirt or a league sending a message on a sweatshirt, that sorry, you're 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 grasping at straws. In my opinion, you believe that if you want to, and we've had some text messages yeah. that have leaned that way. So I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, but you're not going to convince me that you're right. That's that's all I'm saying on that one. And, and you know, Kelly, as we just have a minute or two left here, uh, I'd be interested as from your perspective as a sports broadcaster and someone who's been involved in the games for so long. What do you think about these demonstrations, for lack of a better word? Yeah, Michael Bennett from the Seattle Seahawks last night sat on the visitor's bench while the singing of the national anthem was taking place uh, before the game against the LA Chargers in the NFL preseason. I don't have a solution for a better answer, so that's why I'm not going to be critical Mm -hmm. of Michael Bennett. But uh, I, I do know that, you know, Colin Kaepernick created a stir, but also created awareness by that. So I guess at least it's the lesser of two evils in terms of no violence has been permeated as a result of this. A message has been sent out. Uh, but when you think about what national anthems are all about, mm-hmm. uh, not in agreement of doing it that way. Just that's my opinion, though. 
And opinions are certainly welcome here. Yeah. Tristan Field Jones, Kelly Moore with you. Your weather is up next. Well, not exactly. It's no, it's not. It's no. <laughs> Tristan Field Jones and Kelly Moore with you as uh, we take you into the Monday afternoon commute. Uh, the news four to seven. Richard Cloutier, Julie Buckingham coming up right after that. Yeah, speaking of commute, just had a text at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. A stalled car, Clay Young. If you're heading uh, in the Route ninety northbound lane at Notre Dame, <laughs> I can't I, think of a worse spot. Uh, to have a stalled car. Anyway. I won't be going there, uh, there that way anytime soon. Okay. <laughs> he <laughs> says those, with immense glee. Yes, but for those of you who are, oh, no. Yeah. Just kind of be ready for Good it. Old Route 90. Yeah. Um, we have uh, Global News reporter Clay Young here in studio with us. Uh, the Palliser government will spend $20 million as part of its plan to reorganize Winnipeg hospitals. Clay, you've been covering this story. Uh, this has been a monumental change to our healthcare system, and I'm sure there's more to come. What did the government announce today? Well, I just uh, came back from a very lengthy uh, news conference, and as you can see, it's a very lengthy, <laughs> lengthy, lengthy list of what what they're doing. But um, uh, here, here's one of the things that they're going to do. As as you know, they're shutting down three ERs, but they're keeping three ERs open. Uh, that's at the Health Sciences Center, St. Boniface, and Grace. They're going to create or expand what is already in place at the HSC, and it is called uh, a minor treatment area. So instead of going straight to the ER, well, you can go to the ER, but then they'll direct you. Let's say you've got a, a broken leg or something. They'll direct you over to the minor treatment area. You sprain your ankle. You'll get treated quite quickly as opposed to being in the general ER and waiting till the cows come home. Uh, and Lori, and that's just among many changes here. Lori Lamont, uh, vice president of the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority, she says the, ch- the aim of all of this is to put patients with similar needs to be grouped together in places where they will go and then they have the experts standing by ready to take care of them. By concentrating our ability to deliver services to those people most in need of acute care in a single place allows us to actually reduce the length of stay to more efficiently and see more people in the same footprint but also by adding just that you know, relatively small amounts of capacity it allows us to do that. Some other things that, that are interested in this uh, big release here, uh, you know, we have a helipad now at the HSC, and mm-hmm. that quickly gets people, stars will pick people up and they drop them right on the roof and then they're brought in. Now they're talking about putting one at the, on the roof of the St. Boniface Hospital. Oh, interesting. For, for cardiac uh, patients, and they will get treated right away. So we'll have more on this uh, throughout the afternoon. I'm continuing to wade through this. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Jody Mason, the executive liaison from the Manitoba uh, Go- or Government Employees Union, rather, uh, set out this statement. First, they cut services and jobs, and now they tell us those cuts come with a multi-million dollar price tag. Pay millions to get less services. Sounds like a bad deal for patients, families, and those working on the front lines. That money should be spent on providing care, not figuring out how to accommodate all their cuts. Lamont sort of uh, answered that. She said, by the way, she said there's no staff cuts as a result of this in people because some services are going to go from one hospital to another. Uh, I believe there's going to be uh, a service that is provided 
at uh, one of the hospitals. It's going to be transferred over Concordia. It's going to be transferred mm-hmm. over to Victoria, but that staff will will go, and if they they'll continue to have jobs, so nobody's going to lose their jobs as a result of this. At least Even, from what we understand, right? Yes, as they continue to consolidate the whole system. And Clay, it's it's funny because when I approached Clay about doing this, uh, he was busy uh, working busily at his desk in the newsroom, and uh, he did the visual demonstration of here's all the stuff I have to go through to get something <laughs> together. I just have to, uh, w- Clay. Why was there? I mean, there's even more changes planned. Holy moly! Yeah, she indicated more changes are coming down the pike, so we have not seen the end of it. Okay, well, go home, read all about that. Can we're I gonna, go home now? We're gonna have. <laughs> oh, really? We're gonna have a test tomorrow. Thank. You. Unless there's another bomb scare on Miriam. Oh, I've been to that one, too. <laughs> Clay Young, uh, he's... The life of a reporter at 680 CJOB. The intrepid 680 CJOB reporter going around, and uh, if there's a story out there, he'll cover it. Uh, but uh, there you have it. You know, um, Kelly, the... Uh, the healthcare changes. I understand that there are concerns when it comes to healthcare changes, and certainly this well, is change is the key word that right. you just uttered there. Regardless of whether it's healthcare, whether it's daily life, whether it's uh, something with your car or your employment, as humans, we are resistant to change. Absolutely. But having said that, though, and, and you know, you you hear the ads from the unions uh, who are kind of lamenting what's yeah, what's yeah. going on. That's from their perspective. For and sure. of course, you hear yeah. what the government says, and it's all rosy with the government. I, I would yes. recommend uh, because healthcare is such an important thing, and it can sound scary when there are changes like this. I'd recommend you know listen to stations like CGOB. You know, listen, watch global news. We, we do our absolute best to try and filter through this and to try and get to what is actually happening, right. what are the real concerns. And, of course, in segments like this, Kelly, on shows like this, we try to get discussion out there to, to, for, to allow people to voice yeah. their concerns. So before you hear an ad by the unions or you know a news release or you read a news release from the government, just yeah. take a minute or two to think because, it over. Yeah, there are separate mandates that are going on there for sure. But I think the question, and here's what I ask myself all the time, mm-hmm. uh, if it was working properly before there would be no need for change but it clearly was not no. working so therefore i will give the benefit of the doubt to change to see if the situation can improve i and i think that's it of course things if when the changes are rolled out of course things could end up being worse i suppose but ultimately it would be difficult to yeah. defend the system the way it was right and uh from that perspective i think it's a difficult job regardless of which government is in power to try and figure out how do you sort this mess out and and i could tell you this you travel across this country and you will hear the same type of criticisms and view the same type of ads coming out of the Saskatchewan Nurses Union. Uh, BC, it was the same thing. I saw the ads in Alberta. I I don't know why, maybe it was a regional broadcast I was watching, but I saw a commercial for the Nova Scotia Medical Association who were lambasting the government there. So folks, I guess if there's, if on the old misery loves company department, you are not alone. Tristan Field-Jones, Kelly Moore with you, and we might have some misery in traffic, hopefully not. Definitely no misery in weather, though. But anyway, traffic and weather coming up next, and then we preview the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. And we are brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-832. 6243. He's been huffing and puffing. He's got a little furnace face going there. Fired up. Well, that's called a walk on. It's He's called walking on somebody up. when you walk it's, on somebody uh, like that. It's it, something that happens all the time, doesn't it? 
it's uh, not. It never happens to you, though, does it, Tristan? No, never happens. Nobody to me. would interrupt you. No. It's Greg Mackling and Tristan <laughs> Field Jones. Not Greg Mackling. I'm Greg Tristan Field Jones and Kelly Moore. <laughs> Richard Cloutier Yeah, Richard Cloutier is uh, back from vacation. Back from uh, vacation. All you fired s- up. I-, I saw some stuff on your Facebook page, Rich. You seem to have just a blast. Staycation. Yeah, did a little bit of fringing. Did a little bit of Canada Summer Games. Did a little bit of folklorama. Did a little bit of bicycle riding. It was good. Barbecue and bluesing. Lots. Yeah, l- lots of reading. Got uh, got some books read and everything like that. It was a lot of fun. And uh, you spoke. Speaking of Instagram and Facebook, my Instagram account is. Uh, blowing up right now because mm. we have a picture of a handsome young man. Has nothing to do with either one of us. It's no, all about the guy in the middle. But oh. he will join us at 545. I would say the best hair I've ever interviewed. Sawyer Fredericks who won The Voice in 2015. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. He was here. He was right outside that, the door. I, I know. I saw you interviewing him and I thought, yes. holy crows, mm-hmm. has he grown up. Wow. Well, he's 18 now, so yeah. his, first international, his hair. first international <laughs> show is in Canada. I was like, smart boy, you're legal here. How did Told you get to- him to take off the hat for the interview? That's what I want to know. Yeah. He just did. It yeah. does come off. Told yeah. me to put the scissors away. <laughs> <laughs> so Sawyer will uh, join us in, and do uh, some performing as well. Oh, I love that kid singing uh, when uh, that year for The Voice. He was absolutely outstanding. He's and playing at the park a tonight. Nice kid too. He he's is already, a very nice yeah. kid. Good. Uh, Julie and Rich, I can certainly certainly imagine that uh, the announcement from the WRHA regarding how they're spending money, we've already begun to hear things from the unions. I'm certain you guys are going to be doing a, a way more on that. Lori Lamont from the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority will join us live after the 4.30 news uh, to talk about uh, what they announced today, but also to address more cuts that we've been made aware of here and cuts and changes. There's more fees being introduced uh, depending on where your loved one is at. We'll ask Lamont all the tough questions after the 4.30 news. Uh, big announcement today at Silo Mission as That's well. That's right. Jim Bell will join us talking about the expansion there. Oh. And if you show us yours, I'll show you mine. I'm talking about... Yeah. Uh, what do you, what do you... Julie will show us. I, I don't have one, so I have yes. nothing to show. I was contemplating it. But was talked out of doing it. I have it. the next two planned. You do? I do. Do you have one, Kelly? I don't have a tattoo or an earring. No. All right. Mm. Tristan? I'm guessing I, that's what it we is. We are talking about tattoos and earrings? We are okay. talking yeah. about tattoos. No, I don't have a tattoo or an earring. The really? tattoo convention no. is coming. We could arrange that. You so, could get no. like a little I Just, heart. Hey, we could get Tristan all tattied up. No, I really don't. No. No, I, even if somebody paid for it, that's not something that's up my alley. Really? No. I, a lot of people are, and uh, oh, I've got one, them. and like I said, I'm planning the next couple. Almost worth a GoFundMe page. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not worth anything. Save your money. Donate it to a worthy cause. Not not me getting a stupid tattoo of some sort, because I would never... There's some really agree. cool ones out there right now. Oh, hey, don't... I'm, yeah. looking, I'm looking at getting one that, that is in the form of wave file we deal mm-hmm. with all the time. Sure. And they're developing an app, so you hold the app over the wave file on your tattoo, and it will play that sound. So I could have Tristan saying, oh boy. shut up, Julie. And I could, I could hear that whenever I wanted to, if that was the wave file that I chose to... Tattoo on my. Why, why would you have that? On, I would on, not. Richard, would you ever get a tattoo? I was contemplating it very much, and then I was talked out of it. <laughs> so we'll see. Out of it, we'll see. Yeah, I think uh, the important thing with tattoos is placement. Placement is key. You don't want your dolphin to become a whale. You don't want your dragonfly <laughs> to become a pterodactyl. You don't want. So Tristan, placement we, is key. We need to get a tattoo expert on the show tomorrow. 
You think so, yeah? I think we need well, to do that. We have yeah. one on at 4.15 yes. this okay. afternoon. Oh, You're well, right. then we'll just listen then. That's yeah, why we're listen. talking about it. <laughs> All right, anyway, Richard and Julie coming Follow up with along. Oh, the Any news. giveaways before we let you guys go today? Not today, but oh, Wednesday. 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 It's going to be big. Oh, big, big, Monday. big, big, big. What have you done for us lately? Wow. Huh? We gave away guns We didn't walk tickets. on you as much as you two walked on each other. Too. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> Richard and Julie bringing you the news from 4 until 7 o'clock with plenty of great stories uh, coming up today. So feel free to tune in for that. Kelly, it's been a fun show. Yeah, it has been, you know, and considering most of the newsroom thought this would be a veritable train wreck because of the <laughs> usual banter that goes on between water and oil, fire, or gasoline in a lit match, what yeah. other kind of different things can I come up with here? Yeah, you know what, it, it has been. I guess the, the one eye-opener for me has been while we were discussing uh, the uh, situation in Charlottesville, Virginia, I would say there's a lot of sadness and a lot of polarization just amongst our listeners with yeah. some of the texts that uh, and the reaction and just how people view things. And again, uh, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying you're going to have to do a better job of at least selling me on your views before I can find a way to at least look at it and say, okay, that makes sense. We are going to have so much more. Kelly, it's been great. Uh, myself and Kelly are back tomorrow for Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry. Savannah Pierce behind the board. With some assistance from Jeffy Forche. Huge upgrade, huge upgrade from Kyle Milroy and Jeff Forche. Okay, well, then on that note, uh, we will have some issues to deal with after the show. But uh, we're back here at 105 tomorrow. We'll do it all again. We've got uh, some great things lined up already. Tristan Field Jones, Kelly Moore saying adieu and until tomorrow.